right, everyone, welcome to Industrial Marketing Live. I'm Brendan, Senior Strategist at the Industrial Marketing Agency, Grill76, and one of your IML hosts. Thank you so much for joining us live today, and thank you to everyone listening on the podcast, on YouTube, uh, on, the, on the recording. So today, we're gonna be talking about the creme de la creme of marketing, social proof. Uh, so we're gonna talk about why social proof is powerful, right? It's getting real customers talking about how great your company is, so you don't have to say it yourself. Um, we're gonna talk about it in the context of demand gen. So how to use it to create that good content that feeds distribution to help you tell that story and build trust with your brand. Um, we're gonna talk about how to talk to customers and how it's the base of everything we do in marketing and how we could leverage those, uh, those intro or those uh, interviews into good case studies and good content. And then we're gonna take you on a linear path to talk about social proof and how you do it right from those customer interviews all the way up into distribution. And joining us today, we have a very special guest, conversion writer, Alan Fenewald joining us uh, as our one of our panel members today. So Alan, welcome, it's good to see you, man. Um, so I wanna talk to you first about doing customer interviews. So the first thing is we all know getting interviews is extremely challenging for industrial marketers. So when you get one, Alan, when you get a customer interview on the line, how do you hook them and how do you get the most out of that conversation? Um, well, great to be here. Thanks for having me on to talk one of my favorite topics, which is social proof, because uh, this gives me the opportunity as a writer to kind of flex my narrative muscles and get the most pure storytelling that I usually have the opportunity to do um, in my job. Um, and so when you get a customer interview, you got to decide what your goals are in that. If you have a very specific thing that you need to get out of it, like you're looking for a very specific circumstance that you want to highlight, or if you're just looking for <clears throat> the best story that they have available. Um, it's always easiest when it's the latter because you're not having to pry and pick and kind of sort through all of the stories they have in their head to find the right one. You can just ask for their favorite one or the one they're the most impassioned by. And that's usually where you're gonna get the best narrative to work off of and be able to create the most branching content off of that because it's gonna have the most detail. It's gonna have the most um, most drama involved. And um, so, that's one of the things you got to think about. Um, but if it is that you're just looking for the best story they have, if they agreed to be on the interview with you, they probably already have one in mind, or they probably wouldn't have wanted to spend the time talking with you. So the easiest question can just be like, what is a time that you, or what is the time that you always talk about when somebody asks for a recommendation about this company? What always comes to mind? Mm -hmm. um, it'll probably be pretty close to what you're looking for, unless it's something hyper-specific you want to get out of them. I think this point is a, a good time to talk about having good marketing and sales alignment, right? Like a lot of times, like I feel like as a market, I don't have all the, the necessary information in the field and like what's happening on each of these projects. So having a regular touch point with your sales team on what projects are currently live and which ones we just completed and like which ones actually delivered a good result. Um, it's like having that kind of constant conversation with your sales team to pull in information on who I should be talking to as a marketer, right? Who should I be setting interviews up with to get case studies and, or, you know, more generic, maybe market research, customer interview stuff that maybe not turn into a case study. Um, yeah. And then Alan, I, th I think that's all right. So how do you set yourself up for success in that? We'll, we'll, we'll stick on the case study side. How do you set yourself up for success when you want to have a case study interview with a customer? Um, I try to get them as comfortable as I can with me first, um, because you're wanting them to tell you a story. And in order for them to do that as best they can, they need to feel comfortable with talking to you. Um, so you want to make sure that they have um, 
you know, gotten the right frame of mind to be able to give you what you need on that um, with as much detail and hopefully some like emotional content as well and hard numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just encourage them to get the ball rolling with a story that they want to tell and then be looking for those opportunities to hop in and be like, hey, do you have an exact number there? Um, like look for the moments to ask for specificity without slowing their role because the best story that you like, you'd want to get the best story possible. Um, and then you can come back around for those little details later. If you feel like you're going to sacrifice their storytelling ability, because we're not always talking to people that, you know, are great novelists or whatever, you know, you got to be pretty sensitive to when they're on a good role telling you a story. What are your go-to questions in a case study interview? Um, the ease, the one that comes up often is how did that make you feel, which is maybe a little weird in this context, but that is what these things are trying to do. You are trying to contextualize the hard information that you probably already have in your back pocket. So that is the, the follow-up question in every big instance where something major happened um, that results in, you know, you having a really good stat, you need to get the emotional content behind that. Yeah. I think the yeah, other thing, I'll oh, go ahead, Payne. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, like, yes, you want to get the emotional content, but like so much of the, the success of that customer conversation that you like, they're, they're a, a valuable resource, right? Um, sales doesn't want to give it up to Brendan's points point uh, earlier about sales and marketing alignment. They don't want to necessarily open them up for conversations with other people at the company all the time. So whenever you do get those conversations, I think to like Alan's points here, the prep work you do on like ahead of that interview becomes so important because you want to try and figure out what is the story? Like, why are you even talking to them in the first place? Like make it easy for them to start to, um, you know, trust you show that, you know, a little bit about the relationship with the company already. Um, and then, you can start to unravel and unpack um, as you find areas where you wish they would expand um, with those numbers, like Alan's mentioning, or with like additional details about the emotion of the situation. Um, And I think like a big point here is, you know, we're talking about like the goal of these interviews, like social proof is not just, I think when, when there's a misconception about what a case study actually is, and uh, what Gorilla calls a case study. Um, so I, I don't know, like Alan or Brendan, do you want to talk a little bit more about like when we say complete story, what do we mean by that? Because we're not just talking about a project summary. Yeah, I take the meaning of case study a bit more literally and now like you have to study the case that you're dealing with and you have to look into the nooks and crannies of it and just figure out what made it successful outside of just the hard numbers. Um, otherwise, yeah, you're just, you can just summarize what you did and be done with it. But that's not really a case study because it doesn't provide the story behind it. It doesn't give you everything you need to be confident that that situation applies to you as a buyer. Yeah. So, Peyton, yeah, I see a lot of case studies out there that are just basically a project summary, right? Like, our company built this thing for this company. And that's like the extent of the piece. And we want to go deeper than that, right? Like we want to help connect our target audience with this project. And I think the first thing to do is get them to talk about the problem. So I think with a framework of the problem, what, what problem or jobs to be done did my customer have that was in this case study? 
and then move that into here's a solution that our company provided. You know, here's the product or here's the service that we provided to help solve that problem. And then talk about just the result of what happened, right? Here, like, and then Alan, you're right. Like, what? How did we improve efficiency? How did we improve throughput? How do we improve safety? You know, or and how do and tie that back into the problem, right? So this result fixed or was a result of this, pro, you know, fixing this problem. And talking about it in that way, I think, centers the story on the case study, right? Like we talked about with Grace a couple of weeks ago about building out that narrative, right? You can bring that narrative structure here, right? Don't make your company the, the main character of the case study, right? The main character is the company that you helped solve the problem for, right? They had the problem. You came in as the guide, as the mentor and provided a solution for them. They executed that and they had the result. So that to me is like the the structure on how this case study should go. And you're right on that. And then make sure you jump into the details and show that you know what you're talking about, right? Use the right technical and terminology, use hard numbers, um, really, and use it as a way to connect with your target audience when we get to that distribution phase. Mm -hmm. And that's where these detailed customer interviews are so important because you can't tell the story through the eyes of Frodo if you didn't talk to Frodo and get everything from his perspective to Eddie's point in the chat earlier, you know, you, you are Gandalf, um, but the story is being told through Frodo. Um, so you got to remember that as you're writing these things too, like are, who, who is actually experiencing the things you're talking about as you're carrying about. the ring, right? That's yeah. who, that's what matters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. And, and Aaron asked a question here in the chat about, you know, just like basic structure and we're getting some uh, great feedback. Uh, Zach, shared a structure that he uses, um, you know, outlining the situation. Hey, you want to come up and talk about your case study structure? Yeah, sure. Well, this, and this was <clears throat> given to me, uh, initially I used it, um, for preparing for job interviews. It was given to me by my stepfather who teaches organizational behavior. Um, and you know, it's just this classic, um, business school model. He called it car. P-A-R, problem, action, result, but mm -hmm. I've heard it referred to in these different acronyms. But uh, so some, a lot of these will start with situation first, which uh, is basically the context. And it can be helpful to set that up and differentiate that from setting up the problem, but sometimes setting up the situation and then describing the problem, those two things can get conflated uh, so you just have to be careful if you are going to include them as separate things, not to um, describe the describe the same thing twice. Uh, so if you're using the four the four letter acronym, then just be careful not to um, just have the same information. But basically, uh, the first part is what is the context? What is the you know? It's exactly Brendan what you were saying. It, it's it's that structure. It's what is the problem that you were trying to solve. Um, what actions did you take to solve that problem? And what was the result? And you can elaborate on that. Um, but in elaborating on that, you know, it's always remember your audience. Um, you know, I applied this to great effect when I was working in an agency role and I had to redo, I had to. Sounds cocky. Um, I, I redid all of the case studies on our website because they were all from in that very agency voice yeah. that were, you know, patting itself on the back for what it did. 
you know, from a very designy standpoint or marketing standpoint, but not from the client's standpoint. And so I basically was looking for how each one of those case studies um, could apply to the broadest um, business problem possible. Yeah. Like the business, it wasn't about then, like, how did, you know, we solve this branding problem or this, uh, you know, account-based marketing problem. It was more like your business is trying to grow but at the same time, you lack the capital to grow. Mm-hmm. Right? So right. that is the problem. Yeah, uh, it's not that you have a branding problem. Branding is the is the approach. And so by reframing it in terms of the yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, client's problem and making it more universal, uh, we suddenly started getting way more traction uh, on those case study pages. More people started clicking. Yeah. And you can think about case studies like you can think about what makes good ad copy, right? It needs to be familiar enough for everyone to be able to apply themselves to it, but specific enough for it to be intriguing and to make people think a bit deeper about it. Um, you got to try to balance the uniqueness with the familiarness um, of it to try to get as many uh, wide of a buying funnel as you can, right? Um, so yeah, great points there, Zach. So I'm going to share my screen because Eddie also asked in the chat, and we're going to talk a little bit. I I, I love the points that are coming up in the chat about anonymous case studies. I want to circle back to that, but I do want to show you, we're going to take you on like a linear linear journey with um, an actual example from uh, a client that we work with, um, how we started with a case study and then how we've kind of like unpacked that and gotten on, like gotten through demand generation using this um, asset. So first I'm going to show you the, the case study. So uh, right here. Hopefully you guys are seeing my screen. Yeah. So, um, we're talking in this, in this example, this, uh, client was willing to, our customer was willing to be named. Um, but you can even see in the headlines that come up here, the circumstances. So the situation, like what happened here, what we have, um, how they, Added, built on top of that solution to solve even more problems. The service mindset, the a differentiator that um, Atmos has here, they bring to the table. So this case study was really great, but you look at it from this angle and you don't see any of like the big hard hitting numbers. Um, we started running this with ads um, that were you know pushed out on LinkedIn um, and it was doing well in the feed. You know, our, our ads were, um, I'll show you, um, those maybe in a minute, but, um, they weren't necessarily, um, once they got to this page, we saw that they weren't taking all of the desired actions that we wanted them to take. So, um, Yeah. So, but we started with this and this is a long form case study. It is not something where, and it's not super, super long, but it's something where um, we're not just talking about the summary of the project, but we are talking about um, the story behind that. So whenever you're having those customer interviews to go back to that first step, you got to make sure that you are giving your um, customer time to unpack the winding road that it took for them to to get from problem to solution um, and fill in the holes along the way. Um, So case study, that's what we think when you're talking about social proof marketing done right, that's the holy grail. A a case study, a long form case study 
or another piece of long form content in some some way um, is really the the place to start. I mean, would y'all agree with me there? Yeah. Ideal world, you could almost turn these case studies into an example of the buying experience. You know, you want it to be um, as comprehensive as you can without being too tedious for them to feel confident. Like, yeah, this is the experience I want to go through. So in the situation where you have folks who are not willing to be named, um, how have you handled that? And and Aaron, I'd love to hear, um, I know you've, you've been chiming in in the chat. I'd love to hear what you have to say about anonymous case studies. If you can project, I know you're kind of, we're, we're in the same room. Hear me okay? Yeah. If I'm, I'm sitting right next to Brendan. I'll just <laughs> here. Um, yes, Salim had a good question about anonymous case studies and if those are even worth it because what makes a case study valuable is knowing that a real customer went through that same experience. Um, and when it's anonymous, there's obviously like the risk that people think it's fake and you made it up, blah, blah, blah. But um, one thing Celine pointed out was like, within an industry, I feel like it's, if your industry is very tight-lipped and they don't like to share who their suppliers are, that's, that's typically well-known across the industry, which I think already is kind of like lowering the barrier to like skepticism around anonymity. And I also think when you are in that type of industry, having your case studies be anonymous can build more trust because it shows that you show discretion. You're not you know, telling your customers whole stories um, when they, you know, most people want to keep that private. And I think just because it's anonymous doesn't mean it has to lack specificity. So I've done it in the past where like, even when you're sharing specific numbers, you can anonymize that data. So instead of saying they reduced um, OEE or they improved OEE by 15%, well, maybe you say it's like 16 or maybe 14. So it's not the exact number, but you're still getting the same effect. Those are some of the ways around where I'm like, as long as I'm specific and like acknowledging the um, the importance of the anonymity, like I think it's it's still effective and worth it. Yeah, you have to put in a bit more effort to decide which details that you can talk about are the most relevant to your buyers. You know, like what are the things that they are going to recognize from their own company that you can talk about so they can be like, oh yeah, no, these are these guys are like us, even though I don't know their exact name. Kara brought up a good point too. Kara, would you want to come on and talk about how you've handled it when companies asked to remain anonymous? Put you on the spot. Me, Kara? All right. Yeah, Kara. Kara, run. Yeah, listen, I, my headphones won't work and there's people talking, but I'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. So um, we we had a customer, um, a very large high, hyperscaler out in the Northwest. Not that hard to figure out who, but they did not want to be named. And so we just, you know, throughout the case study, just kind of set a large hyperscaler, but we still had to have something out there because people want to read a case study. They want, you know, a lot of people on the chat are saying the same thing. They want to make sure that it's a real thing that, you know, it actually happened. And, you know, if they're in that same boat, they can kind of see the numbers and all of the stats that kind of go with that. But I don't think it matters if you, if you have the company name or not, it'd be nice, you know, to have that logo, but I think even just getting something out there is better than nothing. Yeah, we've had that in the past too. Where we're <laughs> the world's largest online retailer. Wonder who that yeah. is. Right, exactly. 
Yeah. Find something descriptive, like geography based or industry based. And that can pretty much satisfy. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah. So when we're talking about, we have a case study now. Great. We wrote it. We interviewed our customer. Um, Now we want to distribute, push this puppy out into the world. So we need ad copy. Um, Alan is our conversion copywriter uh, here at uh, Gorilla. So would love to get- Before we we talk about it, I just want to say this part is really important, especially for us on the demand gen side, right? The, to think that you're going to put a case study up on your website and have it make any sort of effect with SEO or someone stumbling upon it, you know, coming to your branded website, uh, you might as well have not written the case study, I think. Like, no one's searching for your super long tail keyword about, uh, you know, we were like reducing, uh, you know, cover out of landfill in Michigan or where, wherever you were, Peyton. So, like, no one's searching for that. So, we need to guarantee distribution of this piece. Cause you spend a lot of like, I know like these take a long time to do, right? Like we have to talk to sales to figure out who we're going to interview. We have to interview the person. Um, you know, if you're a marketer, um, like me, I would, I struggled, like, you know, take me like 10 hours to write a piece cause I'm not a writer or you have to hire a writer. Right. And then that means it costs money to get, you know, it's probably $2,000 for you to get an article case study written, uh, from a professional writer. So you put all this time and money into creating the thing guaranteed distribution of that so you can actually have a positive effect on your business. And the only way that we can do that is through paid social distribution, right? LinkedIn, Facebook, Reddit, YouTube, wherever makes sense for your audience. We have to deliver this content to where they are hanging out on the internet. All right. That's my spiel. Take it away, Alan. How do we actually do that with creating ads? So the easiest way to maybe think about it is, you know, when you get a novel and it has the summary on the back, you want to try to start by writing that, like probably the easiest way to think about it. Summarize your case study as best you can in the character limit that you have to work with. Um, Make sure you've got all the important details included, and then you restructure it based off of how you want to sell this summary to your audience. So, you know, the best, most juicy detail that goes at the top, that's your lead now. Um, you know, for example, this is all hypothetical, right? Um, but like for one of our things, we had, this came up more than once somehow, but a client that was willing to go above and beyond on Christmas Eve to make a deal happen. And I was like, oh, Christmas Eve, boom, that's, that's the lead now. Um, cause that is striking. That's not something you see every day, but it's also incredibly familiar. Everyone knows the stress of doing something on Christmas Eve that they didn't intend to do. Um, so yeah, look for those catching, but relatable details that you can bring to the top to draw people in to the rest of your summary. And um, if you do have some hard numbers that you want to make sure people see, you know, don't be afraid of bullet points. Those are useful, even if you're trying to do a more of a narrative vibe throughout the rest of the ad. Um, I think it's super important to bring in quotes, right? Direct quotes from your customer into the ad copy and like image headlines, a great place for that. Or, you know, as, as like, maybe as part of the lead or that the hook, right, Alan? Like it's super important to bring that information into the copy. I would just also um, warn about being too reliant on quotes, you know, because it's really easy to get long or let the quote get long. So yeah. make sure you're picking out the, the real money part of that quote um, and not just burying the reader with stuff because that's what the customer said. You know, make sure that you're still being artful with those quotes. 
Yeah, Alan, when we were preparing for this, you said that there's some lessons we can learn from from BuzzFeed when it comes to copy. Anything? I mean, yeah, I I, I almost regretted that reference as soon as I said it. Um, but but yeah, like you do need to draw people in with that element of drama that BuzzFeed tends to go like, you won't believe this thing. I don't like that necessarily necessarily as the thing that draws people in. But you need to be able to get that, oh, wow, what the crap moment um, to get people out of their social loops. Um, and so I would say that, like, think about what what would BuzzFeed do with this article, like to make it more dramatic or more eye catching. And then what do I need to do to scale that back to make it work with my audience? You know, you want to get right up to that line, but not cross it. Manufacturing engineers love these eight things. Number three will drop your socks. <laughs> right now, that's how we should do it. Yeah, I mean, like number three will could save you a million dollars, you know? I will say here, it's only clickbait if you don't deliver in the piece, right? You'll piss people off if you don't deliver, if number three doesn't actually give someone a heart attack, right? But you, you can use that to get someone to click in as long as you, uh, you, know, you, you deliver in the copy. All right. So um, back to our example here. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and kind of pull this up. So um, we have the interview. So we, and we have that long form case study. Um, you've done a lot of work writing that. So yes, take these uh, these other like notes that um, Alan and Brendan have been sharing the last couple minutes. But you have copy you've already written and know that you can repurpose it. You just need to shape it and make sure that it fits um, and tells a story in the feed. So that's kind of the angle that we go with because we're trying to distribute whether or not they come to your website or not. We just want them to read and consume the information. So break that case study apart into store into like little nuggets. Use that as your ad copy. So what this might look like, I'll share my screen again. Okay. Here we go. So this case study we showed you earlier, long form. Then we pop in here to what that ad might look like. So we're using all 600 characters here. Um, our little catch, alarm bells are ringing, you know, um, so a little bell. We use one of the statistics in the copy here. And then the image headline, big stat. And I know, and I'd be interested to give Mary some time to make her case. Um, Mary Keough in the, in the chat was saying, you don't need um, big numbers. Big numbers work. They work really well. They're really nice. Um, that's why you see BuzzFeed articles um, pulling them in, uh, top 10 ways you can do this or that. So if you do have metrics, if you can do a little bit of math with the story that they've sh they've shared with you and come up with some sort of number that articulates what's happening, um, hey, that's great. This ad alone has driven 13 conversions for this company. So, and for a company that's doing, you know, big deals that have a long sales cycle, 13 conversions is pretty good. Um, so uh, just something to consider there. And I'll I'll uh, I'll stop. Do we want to talk a little bit about ad imagery? I, I've kind of started to go into that with the headline, but obviously hey, head, headlines are really important. From the, from the project? I'm sorry? 
Was that an image from the project? Uh, yes, this is an image from that location. Yeah. Nice. Which you don't always get, yeah. but you just have to make sure that you have something that is contextual with what you're trying to talk about. At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter, um, you know, to to for the messaging part of this, like as long as they're seeing what product doing the action that you're talking about in your case study, I think that's okay. Ideally, it would be extremely authentic and you're and you're showing like an actual project photo, but you don't always get those. Yeah, I would just say if you're worried about the audience being concerned that what's hap- what you're talking about really happened, then the quickest way to do that would be to have a stock photo. Yeah, stock photos, you got to be careful, though. Um, just make sure that they actually are relevant um, and you're not just pulling in some like angry business person, you know, yeah, like if it, if someone can tell that you pulled it off of a stock site before they even read the headline, they're probably not going to read the headline. Sorry, I'm reading the chat here. Are you guys trying to keep up? Okay. So let's talk about distribution again. Okay. So paid, paid social is not the only way to do this. Right. But I, I'm just like relying solely on organic is probably not the move, right? We got to do some sort of outward distribution. I know a lot of you probably have pretty large email lists. Like these are good things to put inside of your newsletter or a one-off email. Hey, you know, to, to your existing audience, you know, for return business, that sort of thing. Like, I think this is good content there. Um, I think someone mentioned uh, like trade journals. These typically aren't good articles for trade journals. Um, they get, those will typically get kicked back because it's very pro your business, right? They're looking to have more like neutral type expert articles in those trade journals. Um, but Mary, uh, I think you said, uh, you know, make them real nice as a handout. Um, you know, bring those, to, like if you're doing trade shows, Bring some, you know, flyers with your case study. Uh, put it on nice paper and, and hand it out to people so that they have a chance to read it there. Um, so you can get creative, like direct, put them in a put them in a, an envelope and send them to uh, you know a, a mailing list. Make like a TikTok. make a TikTok, yeah. Um, put it on your organic social. Um, we just we like paid social just because it guarantees distribution and we can see the analytics on the backside of it. So that's why we like that. But there are other ways for you to distribute this content. But I just make sure you do something to distribute it and don't just rely on someone coming to you and like, don't be passive with this. We also had a question about like how we're defining conversion. And I just want to make sure we get capture that here in the audio part of the conversation as well. So when we're talking about, you can track conversions in all different kinds of ways. You can track conversions for a page view. You can track conversions for a button click. Um, and, and LinkedIn has documentation on all of that. But what we are defining a conversion in this example is they filled out um, a form uh, for a consultation request. So this would be like a high intent lead that has come through this specific case study. And we don't have this this ad set running all the time. It's demand gen. So, you know, we're cycling through, but we know this one works. So every so often we cycle it back in. Um, you know, and, and keep it going. So we don't have ad fatigue over this, but we want to make sure that we're continuing to bring it back into the conversation. It works. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. Um, I think you see the, the Marlboro man still, the cowboy um, uh, there. So like, sorry, I just read, uh, what's that book? Where is it? Ogilvy on advertising. Um, and so it's top of mind, but uh, you know, they're still using that image to, um to brand themselves and to, uh, they're still using the same ad. So you can use the same ads over and over and over and over again. Um, Okay, so 
Other notes about ad imagery, I just want to make sure we cover on that. Headlines. Alan, what do we need to consider when it comes to writing a headline for the image? Why is the image headline important or where would you where would you put it in the hierarchy of importance on ad elements? Uh, so the traditional wisdom is that you should spend like two to three times the amount of time that you put into your body copy into your headline because the headline is the bait and the hook a little bit. Um, that contextualizes what they're seeing and lets them know, hopefully right away, whether or not they need to continue looking at the less visible parts of your ad, like the lead and then clicking into the body copy proper. Um, so yeah, it's extremely important. Um, and the balance that you got to often ask yourself is going for clarity or cleverness. Um, it's you hear clarity over cleverness most of the time as the typical wisdom. Um, but if it's, just clarity and there's never any cleverness, then you might just get people to glaze and past it um, and not really taking notice depending on how awesome your photo is and stuff like that. Um, so that's one thing to think about is that it needs to be very apparent what this ad is selling based on your headline copy. You don't want to confuse people so much they don't even know what you're getting at. Um, but you also want to you know, put something in there, some sort of flavor to make people think that you, your company has a bit of a personality. There's a reason to work with you guys outside of just that you have, you know, hammers for sale or whatever. You work a so, lot of distribution companies. <laughs> lots of tools. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit here um, about some pitfalls that folks might run into as they're trying to really execute killer social proof marketing. Uh, one has already come up already. Um, and that goes back to the customer interview and that's uh, lack of preparation. You know, you, you show up and you're not ready to talk with your, uh, your customer. What else comes to mind, um, Brendan Allen, about things you see folks miss when it comes to social proof marketing? Yeah, I think the first thing that we see is, and we've already talked about this, but there's just not enough detail in, in the piece, right? Or in the ad copy. Uh, it's really generic sounding. Uh, it's very customer, or it's very your own company focused, right? And not focused on the customer very much. It's just like a summary of the project. Um, we aren't using the right like story structures, right? Like it's like only talking about the solution without ever talking about the problems that the customer had. And then, you know, kind of a weak result on the end of it. So just, uh, just not formatting the piece in a way that or structuring the piece in a way that is an interesting read and tells a complete story. Mm -hmm. And with social proof specifically, you can almost kind of borrow from newspaper headline writing. Like what happened? What uh, you need to have your subject, your action, like you need to be able to tell the complete story within that sentence, hopefully, mm -hmm. um, including, you know, your problem, your agitate and your solution, ideally all within this one phrase. That's like the, the gold standard is being able to kind of summarize your entire uh, offering within this headline. Um, if you can only do a couple, you know, maybe you can only allude to um, the solution or something like that, but you want to try to pack as much in as you can and, you know, let your photo do some of the work there too. And the headline that Alan is describing is the one that would be like on the image um, because that's the first thing that you're, is going to stop you, um, when you when you're scrolling through the feed. Um, uh, the other thing that we talked about that I'll bring up, uh, PDFs, 
big pitfall, right? <laughs> and I, I think it's just like th- these next few points are kind of just like, like just how you have your website designed and developed, right? Like we see a lot of industrial companies that just have a bunch of downloads on, on their website. And that's just not a great user experience, right? And like, you don't get the Google Analytics information, right? All you can see is that it was downloaded, but you can't see that people actually consume it, right? Like you can set up some cool stuff. Like if you go back and listen to our conversation with Patrick on GA4, you can set up really cool scroll depth goals within GA4. You can do, you know, time on page, uh, you know, pages per set, like look at all those consumption metrics. Uh, you know, if you're seeing like people aren't scrolling down, uh, you probably have formatted your piece incorrectly. You don't get that data if it's in a PDF. Create the PDF, right? And use that to help you distribute it in email and like for your sales team to give out, you know. Um, but on the website, it should be an HTML page. Get the SEO benefit from that too. Right. Yeah, exactly. Whatever benefit there is. Um, and then for just what we've been seeing a lot with a lot of our ads in LinkedIn and Facebook is a lot of traffic, especially if you're running Facebook ads, is mobile. I like 90 probably 99% of Facebook traffic is mobile traffic. So if your desktop is only designed to develop to be desktop first, uh, you are probably delivering a very poor reading experience for somebody on their mobile device. So we're, we're I, I don't know if Bill's going to say, but in my mind, I'm starting to think of websites as being mobile first uh, and then desktop kind of comes second because we want to make sure that that experience on the phone is really easy uh, a good user experience so that they can consume on the mobile device. So definitely look at your own analytics, but be sure to like know like if you are running paid distribution in LinkedIn or Facebook, you will have traffic from mobile. Uh, so you, you know Google Analytics might be telling you a lot of your traffic is coming from organic and it's on desktop. But if you just look at your paid social distribution, it's probably going to be a lot from mobile. Yeah, I'm seeing that across every single um, account that I manage on Facebook and LinkedIn, if you're running paid media ads there, um, about 90% of the traffic is coming from mobile devices. Because you think about how you use those social media platforms is you're on your phone and you're scrolling. So, you know, think about that when you're creating your ads and also think about that um, when you're considering that landing page experience, what they're actually going to get when they click into the case study. Um, Someone who's really committed to that solution might pinch and pull on a PDF a little bit, but you're going to lose a lot of people. There's going to be a a huge attrition rate there. Uh, So definitely keep that in mind. And I think the last point, uh, Alan, that that you made too, and uh, I'll just bring it up as far as a pitfall is telling the story from a sales perspective Uh, and just kind of restating that again. I know you talked about tell a story as if you're Frodo. So like that, you cannot speak from the sales perspective and have the same impact with these social proof um, articles as you could if you're telling it from the customer's perspective. Yeah, it's just a different tool. You know, don't, don't try to use a saw like a hammer. Okay. Um, the last thing I'll show you um, here before we wrap up, and if you've got some questions, feel free to drop them in the chat. But uh, I wanted to show you one way that we've optimized this ad over time, because this ad in this case study has been up for, for years um, at this point. Um, well, not years, but a couple, uh, almost two years now. Um, and so 
I will show you where we started um, and then where we've optimized. So here we go. Okay. So we had this ad and it was originally sending people here to this case study, which is great. You know, you're getting exactly what you say you're, you're giving, um, you're, you're giving them exactly what you, you expect the case study. They get there and they can read all about it. Um, we even have little um, audio clips in here. Uh, we have made micro content for this case study as well. Um, so put these with an, an image and we're running those as ads as well. But uh, it's just a wall of text when you get here, which can be nice or not. But we realized that folks weren't engaging with this page as um, we wanted them to. So we took this content we put it into a landing page format. Um, so conversion landing page here, pulled out the main points, took the headlines that we are using in our ad copy, put them as headlines here, just broke it apart. So it's easier to consume, gave places where they could dig deeper into the website, and then we've got a form directly on that page. So this is now the landing page experience for, for this ad. So it's the same ad that's running, but we've just found that by switching the experience, which you know, if I were to pinch this page up, you guys can see what it looks like on a phone, more or less. Pictures break it up form right down there at the bottom. And it's a big form, but there's there's still room to grow here. But uh, I did want to show you guys how things have changed over time with that ad in particular. All right. Cool. Any parting thoughts, Brendan and Alan, before we let folks go for the day? Things you want to make sure they carry forward from this conversation? I just want to stress that doing social proof is so important because this is one of the primary content pieces that helps to build trust with your company and your brand. And I think having this as a part of your marketing mix is extremely important to tell that cohesive story, right? Like we want to, we want to have some brand messaging. We want to talk about our product. We want to position ourselves as thought leaders, but having case studies like really shows that you know what you're doing, right? Because you have gotten results for other companies that are just like your target audience. It's, it's an important piece, and I think you're doing yourself a disservice if you aren't writing good case studies uh, about the projects that you've done. And uh, just one little bit of advice that I didn't get a chance to mention earlier, but at the end of your customer interviews, especially if they've given you a nice, long, drawn-out story about all the great things that your uh, client does or your company does for them, give them another chance, uh, take another stab at it, summarize it in their words, let them tell you um, how everything made them feel as a whole one more time, because usually your best testimonials or your micro content will come when you give them one more chance to summarize everything and say some of the things that maybe they wish they would have said before. Yeah. And then uh, my last uh, bit of advice here is you probably already have case studies on your website that are project summaries. Um, those customers have probably already agreed in some way or another to like to allow you to share their story. So 
if you are interested in diving in and creating this like initial content that then you can like waterfall off of with ad copy, with landing pages, micro content, go back to those project summaries and expand on them. You don't have to find a brand new customer that you've never talked to and sales is maybe a little bit cautious about sharing, like, but start there um, and then rebuild those uh, and, and expand on the story. That's where I would start. Okay. Thank you everyone for joining us today. If you like this conversation and you want to keep it going, I know we've been sharing some uh, advice in the in the chat, but if you'd like to keep the conversation flowing between now and our next IML, uh, you're welcome to join us in Slack. So uh, if you want in, just uh, post in the chat now and we'll send you an invitation or DM one of us on LinkedIn and we'll make it happen. Our next Industrial Marketing Live, we're going to be talking about Gorilla's go-to marketing tech stack. Um, your tech stack is what enables all that yummy data collection that fuels our reporting story. So um, the best part about what we use is that you can do most, if not all of it, without needing a developer. So you can set up all of this tracking yourself without needing really, really um, technical folks to help you. But that's what we've got coming up. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, one, one note in Slack, everyone, let's, let's share some case studies that we've written. And if you're writing case studies, Share those in there with us and like let's talk about them and workshop them in there together. We want to help you write better case studies. So um, yeah, everyone just join us in Slack and we can continue this and talk about case studies and share the work that we've done. And then Alan, thank you so much for joining us today. It was great to get your input on, on how you approach case studies and social marketing. So all right, Peyton, go ahead. Okay. Yeah, Alan, thanks. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, for everyone else who's joining us live, thanks so much for coming. And until next time, we'll see you. Bye, Bye, everyone.